the Holy Gospel is written in the second chapter of the Gospel according to St. John, beginning at the first verse. Glory be to thee, O Lord. The third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. So his mother saith to the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of all our hearts, be now and always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Please sit. Jesus said, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. In this, the first of the seven so-called signs, right at the outset of John's Gospel, were intended, you know, to read those seven signs on two levels. First, of course, at the matter-of-fact level, a jolly good story, a good yarn, yes. But secondly, and more profoundly, perceiving a deeper inner meaning of a spiritual significance, pointing us to a deeper knowledge of God, revealed to us in the person of Jesus, the Son of God, and not least, of course, in this epiphany tide. And frankly, there's so much, frankly, in this story at both levels, packed into this very familiar story, that time only permits me to make two simple points today. One, first, First, the overflowing generosity of God. That's what really hits me in the face as I read this account. God's amazing, abundant grace. Yes, those six water jars, first and foremost, of course, intended in accordance with Jewish law for the washing of hands and feet before eating. Now, that was a ritual, yes, required under the law of the Jews. Strict Jews, as a matter of fact, would wash their hands before a meal and between each course. First, the hand was held upright and the water was poured over it in such a way that it ran down to the wrist. And then the hand was held pointing down and the water was poured in such a way that it ran from the 
fingertips. A thorough good cleansing. Now there were six stone water jars, we're told, each holding between, actually, firkins, it says, but in translation into gallons, how much? 20 or 30 gallons apiece in each of the six water jars. A mighty lot of water. And what does Jesus say? Fill them, says Jesus. And we're told they refilled them right up to the brim. And that's the amount of wine, the quantity which Jesus provided. When the wine provided by the, water, by the wedding feast had run out. For you see, it is when we're finished that God can actually begin. Now, no wedding party on earth could drink 180 gallons of wine. So, quantity. Our God, you see, is an infinitely generous God. Ah, I love that hymn by Cardinal Newman. One verse begins, O wisest love. And then the next verse, O generous love. I don't know if any of you know the dream of Grantius, the music of Edward Elgar, but of course he sets that wonderfully in the dream of Grantius to music. O generous love. Yes, pressed down and running over, as it says in the Synoptic Gospels. Anyone asks you, says Jesus, anyone asks you to go with him one by law required by the law. Two, says Jesus. Anyone asks for your coat, give them your cloak also. Can you see what sort of God we're dealing with here? Not the kind of mealy-mouthed, diming, yes, God that we so often think he is. No, oh generous God. In John, of course, numbers have a particular significance, both in the gospel, in the epistle, and also in the book of Revelation. So we read six water jars. For Jews, as a matter of fact, seven is the number which is complete and perfect. After all, God was reputed to have completed his creation in seven working days. But here we have six stone water pots standing for all the imperfections and incomplete teaching of the Jewish law and the need to fulfill it and complete it with the new wine of the gospel of abundant grace. That's what John wants us to see. You see, Jesus did not come to abolish the law, he tells us, but to fulfill it. Ah, got it? To fulfill it and to fill it full to overflowing. And that's exactly what we see in this sign. To the brim and complete it. Bring it to its proper ending and fulfillment. Yes, the sheer quantity of God's amazing grace, which like his infinite love, never runs out like that initial wine did, is never exhausted. So, quantity and quality the quantity and quality of the new life of grace offered to us when we allow Jesus into our lives into our problems into those places where we've we're finished and he can begin to enrich our lives like water enriched into wine or I like to think like wine enriched into champagne 
That's the sort of life that God is holding out to us in Jesus. So this beginning of signs we read in the gospel, Jesus did and revealed his glory. Well, you might ask, what is God's glory? Irenaeus puts it very plainly. He says, the glory of God, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Yes, God comes to enrich his creation in the new creative, yes, the new creative analogy of water enriched into wine. I love this story, apocryphal of course. A recovered alcoholic converted at an evangelistic campaign shocked his drinking friends when he finally stopped drinking himself silly as he used to do every Friday night at the local pub with his mates and became as he liked to call himself a born-again Christian surely you don't believe all that stuff scoffed his drinking pals those miracles and that business of Jesus turning water into wine well all I know he replied is that I don't know about Jesus turning water into wine, but I do know that Jesus has turned my beer into furniture and a roof over my head. And if that's not a miracle, I don't know what is. And I do believe it because I've experienced it. You see, the new life, what we call so stupidly eternal life, and we get it all wrong if we go down that road. The new life in Dante's description of his book, Vita Nuova. The new life of the Christian disciple is that abundant life which we experience. I've come, said Jesus, in John chapter 10, verse 10. I've come, said Jesus, so that you might have life and have it in all its abundance and fullness, enriched and overflowing, never running out. Like all our human enthusiasms run out eventually. Like that original wine at the feast in Cana of Galilee ran out. Yes, Jesus is pointing us not only to a quantity of life, but to a quality of life. Because eternal life is both longevity, yes, but also first and foremost quality. A quality of life which is stronger than death. A quality of life which is abundant and everlasting. That's what the gospel is all about, dear friends. That's what God is trying to show us in this epiphany tide. And that's what Jesus came to show us and to demonstrate in this season. When the true God shows us his true face. And once we catch a glimpse of the unending possibilities of that new life offered to us in this Christ, a glimpse of his glory like those first disciples, we also can not only believe him, but even more can come to be deepen our belief and trust in him. Knowing him more clearly, loving him more dearly, and following him more nearly, day by day. Amen.